Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you the Lord. I bring you greetings from my family and my church. As far as the family, I don't know how many of you uh, follow me on social media or not, but I am a grandfather now. I am part of that elite group. I'm obviously new as a grandparent. Uh, it's very, are any grandparents here in the house of the Lord? Any grandparents? Wow, that is amazing. Um, you may be able to express it, I'm sure, in a much better way for me. It's a new feeling. I, I don't know exactly what I'm feeling, really. Um, when I saw my children uh, for the first time, um, I felt like a sense of pride and gratefulness uh, to the Lord for, for what he did. But with my, grand, my grandchild, I tell you what, I didn't even have words to express when I saw that little girl. Um, I carried her, and I was a hot mess. My daughter in the background, she's like, Papi, are you okay? I couldn't even talk, and I don't know why. That didn't happen with any of my kids. Um, I think part of it is seeing the faithfulness of God to yet another generation. Um, and for me, that is something that, that has meant so much. When my daughter was born, um, I remember thanking God because... She was the first generation in my entire family that was going to be raised in the ways of the Lord. Um, I came to the Lord as a teenager, um, so I wasn't brought up in church. Um, I, w- I wasn't instructed in the ways of the Lord. And when my daughter was born, I said to the Lord, this is going to break every generational curse that looms over our family. This is going to be the first generation that is raised in your ways. And now I get to see the second generation being brought up in the ways of the Lord. And uh, it's just, what a feeling, what a feeling. And my father, who said to me, I didn't think I'd see my grandchildren with the way I lived my life prior to Christ. And now I'm seeing my great-granddaughter. He was in awe. He he was in awe of uh, what the Lord had done and granting him the, the privilege and the blessing to see his children's children, children. That is crazy. I said, well, Lord, you did it with my dad. I'd love to see my great grandkids, but uh, it really is an exciting time in our family. Uh, Our church is doing fantastic. Um, We are getting ready to celebrate 10 years of the inception of the Way Miami. 10 years. Yeah. There were people who said we wouldn't last a month or a year, yet alone 10. And uh, I truly thank God for uh, allowing Pastor Leo and I to pastor together. It has been a blessing. Uh, our anniversary is June 23rd through the 25th. Uh, we'd love for you to join us Friday and Saturday. We know Sunday you'll be back here at the Nest, but we'd love for you to be uh, part of our special meetings uh, upcoming June 23rd and 24th. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as, as we pray and present this portion of our service uh, to the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence, O God. I thank you for 
every man, woman, and young person who has come out today to your house to worship you, to seek you, as we sung unto you, Lord, to have that, that moment, that encounter with you, that face-to-face -face moment with you. We thank you for the privilege of being called your own, for the privilege of invoking your presence and having you draw near to us. I present myself before you now, O oh God, and I pray that every word that proceeds from my mouth be yours and not mine. I pray that I would be your spokesperson to your people. And I pray for your people. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for what you've done up to this point in today's service. I'm confident, oh God, in your word and the power of your word and the ability of your word to do in each person here what it will send forth to do. I know, oh God, that your word will not return void to you. It will do what it was sent forth to do. If you believe it with me, can you say amen? Amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, when certain things take place in a service to confirm the fact that the word I'm going to be sharing is in fact an appropriate, an opportune word in due season, those things give me confidence. As I was walking uh, into the sanctuary this morning, your pastor was praying and, and he said that the truth of God be spoken here today. Uh, the young lady who did the announcement also used that word. And to me, it serves as a confirmation as to what God has placed upon my heart for you this morning. Um, the last time I was here, I don't remember when it was, but I looked at, at, at my notes. The last time I was here, I shared a message uh, titled, The Importance of Righteousness. I know in my church, I say a week later, if you remember that word, and they don't remember. So I'm not going to ask if you remembered the word, but this would be a good time to just nod politely. The last time I was here, I shared a message on the importance of righteousness. And during that message, uh, I spent a good while speaking about truth and the importance of truth. And... Uh, Last year, I looked at, at, at my messages. Twelve of my messages from last year dealt with truth. And I don't preach every week in my church. So I want you to consider that. At least twelve of my messages centered on truth. That's not mentioning the times that throughout my message throughout the year, I, I spoke on the importance of truth or made reference to the truth. Twelve messages last year, the, the key point was truth. So, uh, needless to say, the morning, this morning, the message I have for you is also centered on truth. Specifically, the importance of speaking truth. That's the message I have for you today. If you're taking notes, speak truth. Which, by the way, helps start this week. So you're going to be talking about today's message. You know, we started that at, at our church. We started the connect groups and we started that format as well. I've never seen so many people in my church taking notes. And I absolutely love that. I love that. There was a, a gentleman who uh, had the opportunity to lead a, a connect group for the first time. And uh, the first Sunday he walked into church, he had a, a, a little journal. And uh, he says to me, Pastor, I bought, I bought a journal and everything. I've, I've never taken notes the way I'm taking notes now. And uh, it was fantastic to see. It was fantastic to see. And side note here, um, if you look in Scripture, 
there are many times, especially in the Old Testament, where the Lord says, write these words down. Write them down. Don't forget these words. Write them down. And uh, I think it's important as God's people that we value the word of God, that when God speaks to us, we take note of that. And I love it. I love it when people receive a word from the Lord and they date it. They receive a promise and they date it. I don't know who does that here or not, but I, I do that. To this day, I do it. And uh, if you're here today and God has spoken to you and you have a date in which you received it, but you haven't received yet the date for completion, be patient. Be patient because if God spoke that to you, it will come to pass. Amen? Amen. So as I've said many times at many different pulpits, including this one, I believe that truth is under attack in today's society. Do I have any friends or I just want to know from the get-go. Who agrees with me? All right, good. The rest, if you don't believe it, I will show you that it is actually happening. Uh, the truth is being bombarded by an agenda in today's society. And that agenda is backed by demonic powers and principalities whose sole purpose is to dilute, to subvert, and to eliminate truth. Do you know that the word absolute truth is no longer defined in dictionaries? If you search for the definition of that word, that word no longer appears. That's happened in the last 10 years, that that word does not appear any longer. If you were to look at that word for the first time and do a, a word search for it and had never done it before, that word would not appear as a, a word or, or a, a compound word or two words put together as a phrase to bring forth a definition. It no longer exists in today's society. And we know that to be truth. We know that God is absolute truth. We know that God's word is the absolute truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. There is such a thing as absolute truth. I don't know how many of you are aware of the following, but a couple of weeks ago, the Cambridge Dictionary uh, updated its definition of a woman. Prior to a couple weeks ago, the accepted definition of a woman, I, th I think it's going to be up there, that prior to a couple weeks ago, that was the definition, according to the Cambridge Dictionary. By the way, I used to live in a time and age where a reference book was a reference book. I re I'm at the age now in life where I can say, I remember when... I remember when a dictionary was a dictionary and everything there was fact. Do you remember a day and age like that? Well, it's no longer that way, and I'm going, to show, I'm going to show you in just a bit. But up to a couple weeks ago, the Cambridge Dictionary defined a woman as an adult biological female. Like that, to me, is a, is a, is, is a fact. It, it's a definition. There's, to me, there's nothing controversial about that. Can we agree on that? They changed the definition to the following. An adult who lives and identifies as a female, though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. <laughs> this is a dictionary, guys. Those of you holding little ones, this is the society they're, gro they're growing up in. This is what awaits them in today's world. 
where fundamental truth is under attack. Because I tell you what, if the ruler of this world can destroy truth, he makes his reach and his power all the more. I'm raising a, another generation of children. I have, I have three older children, 26, 23, and 20. And I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. I cannot parent today the way I parented 23 years ago. I have to go back to the, to the basics and reestablish those things at home before they leave my home into preschool. Like, I don't want to be the prophet of doom today, but have you seen some of those videos that are rising in our preschools? About an agenda to distort basic fundamental truths? Like, I got to tell my, my four-year-old, before he goes to preschool, you know what? You're a boy. God made you a boy, and you're a boy because God has made you that way. Look at yourself in the mirror. You see everything in that mirror. That means you're a boy. I'm going to have to ha get my daughter before she goes out and say to her, you are a girl. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. You are a girl. And God designed you that way. And that's who you're supposed to be. And one day you'll grow into a woman. Basic fundamental truths. You know, I was, uh, we're getting ready to adopt Danny. Many of you know Danny. He's, he's the, the, the boy who changed my life. Um, he just turned four years old, and we've had him since he was 11 days old. He spent nine days in the hospital and two days in a respite, respite home, and he's been with us ever since. He's my son. Um, I didn't make him, but he's mine. I, I have a lot of Honduran families in my Spanish service, and I tell them, I said, yo casi soy paisano de ustedes, because I've, I'm raising a Honduran boy who's my son. And uh, Hannah is, is, is Hispanic as well. Uh, we don't know exactly where she's from, but I, I think she's from the Caribbean. And if you see my daughter Hannah, she looks like my daughter Emily. It is a crazy thing, crazy thing. But Danny's going to be a little different. He's from Central America. Chances are he's going to be yay high. He's dark-skinned, and I, he's going to know papi and mommy don't exactly look like me. So when we're signing all these, it's the truth. I mean, it's, God, it, it's God's honest truth. So when we were going through this adoption thing, the, the, one of the questions were, are you ready to raise a child who is culturally different than you? I said, well... I don't know about so culturally different. I know there's nuances in every culture, but, um, you know, he's my son, and I'm going to raise him like my son. I'm not going to raise him like a Cuban, like a Honduran. I'm going to raise him like my son in our beliefs and, 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 and our values as a family. That's what I'm going, that's how I'm going to raise my son. She kind of looked at me a little weird, and then she said, I, look, I need to ask you some questions. Uh, are you ready to answer them? I said, I'm ask, ask away. I, I can only be as honest uh, as possible. So she says to me, you know, you've already adopted Hannah, and maybe at that time these questions weren't being asked, but I need to ask you a couple questions that have to do with Danny's sexuality. I said, what? 
The kid is four years old, and I've had him since he was a baby. What do you mean, daddy's sexuality? Daddy, daddy is not a sexual being, I said to her. What do you mean? She said, no, I, I, I've got to ask you these questions. I said, all right. She said to me, what would you do if, if one day your son comes to you, Danny, and he says to you that he's a homosexual? I said, well, uh, he, he won't wake up one day and say, hey, good morning, I'm a homosexual. I think that's a process that, that takes place in an individual's life, and there's, there's factors that, that, that will arise. Um, but if I'm going to give you a short answer, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell Danny that I don't approve of that lifestyle, um, that I love him no matter what, but that is not who God created him to be. And then she says, lifestyle? I say, yeah, it's a lifestyle choice. And she looked at me, what do you mean it's a choice? I said, look, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's not like the choice that I put the shirt on today. It's not like I went into my closet and made a choice like that. I'm not minimizing that choice. But what I am telling you is this. I wake up every single day and I make a choice to honor God, to honor my family, and to be the man, the husband, and the father that God has called me to be. That's the choice I make every day. Those are deep, deep rooted choices that I make on a daily basis. And those are the choices I make on a daily basis. And somebody who chooses to deviate from God's design is making those same type of deep rooted choices. She looked at me and then she said, well, I got to ask you the next question. I said, ask away. I'm thinking, they're not going to take my child from me. They're not going to take this boy from me. I, I thought initially, I can see my, my wife holding on to the table as I was answering these questions. She said, what if you wake up one day and your son tells you he's transgender? I said, well, I don't even believe that exists. God created them male and female. You're taking a mental disorder and affirming to people that they're a mistake. So I'm telling you right now, I will never affirm to my child that they are transgender. I'm not going to look at a boy and tell them they're a girl. I'm not going to look at a girl and tell them they're a boy. And if you are uncomfortable right now in my message, it's only going to get worse for you. Because these are fundamental truths. Haven't even gotten into the word of God yet, besides the fact that he created them male and female. So are we ready to proceed or no? Amen. Good deal. By the way, I shared this message at church and it was a little quiet. Not now. It was a little quiet towards the middle and the end. So uh, I know at the beginning they asked you to clap, to get going. Pastor Rigo asked you to encourage yourself. I hope the word of God encourages you because that's what the word of God should do. At the same time, God's word tears you down, but also builds you up. God, God's word corrects, but it also encourages. Amen? Amen. So I'm hoping you get a lot of that today. Everything of God's word. So you cannot... Uh, if you cannot acknowledge the fact that truth is under attack, then I believe that you are in denial. Or you're turning a blind eye to what's happening. If you're th sitting here and you're thinking, Pastor, why, why are you being so extreme? It's because this is a very important topic. Truth is important. And if we're ever going to speak truth, we have to know what truth is. If you don't think that it's important to know truth, to defend truth, to fight for truth, and to speak God's truth, it's because somehow, somewhere, you have compromised God's truth. There's a very uh, prominent uh, pastor who uh, is coming under fire and being applauded by some for his, his new views 
regarding sexuality, the Word of God, and the acceptance of just about anybody that comes to his church. And I'm not going to use his name, but his father was a very prominent preacher. And I don't agree with him doctrinally on everything, but that man was a righteous man, is a righteous man. That man spoke God's truth, and he did not compromise the truth of God. His son, on the other hand, boy, am I fearful for that man's life. I'm fearful for the things that he's saying. And somebody asked me, Pastor, how can a man of that stature, a man of that experience, be preaching these things and people be okay with it? And I said, he's compromised truth. In some area of his life, that man has compromised the truth of God, and there's an end game on why he's preaching these things. I don't know what it is, but someone cannot say with, with transparency before God, let's value an experience, whatever that experience is, over the Word of God. Because if that experience is not aligned with the Word of God, if that experience is not centered on the Word of God, then the experience means nothing to me. Anybody else? A child of God who does not abide in truth, a child of God who does not cling to truth and speak truth in some area of their lives has compromised God's truth. Scripture is clear that God is a God of truth. Yes or no? And if God is a God of truth, then his offspring have to be a people of truth. You know, John Hagee said one time, I'm, I'm dating myself here. He says, if you see an ugly man and an ugly woman, when you go to their house, what are you going to find? An ugly baby. I didn't say that, so don't be upset with me. If God is a God of truth, then his offspring has to be a what? A people of truth. And it breaks my heart when I hear people who want to seek God, who want to know what it is to be a child of God, say, I'm struggling with truth. The translation for that is, I'm struggling with God. But nobody wants to say that. They want to say, I love God. They want to say, I want to please God. They want to say, I'm trying. And they say, I'm struggling with truth. I have somebody who comes to my church whom I found out by a third party that every time I preach on truth, they feel uncomfortable in church. They love church. They love the experience of church. But whenever I narrow down, the, when it comes down to truth, and I start to speak on certain subjects, including some of the ones I've mentioned today, they feel extremely uncomfortable in church. So they asked me, how can that change? I said, when she embraces the fullness of God and the fullness of God's truth, she's no longer going to struggle with it. Because we have to accept God for who he is. If we're ever going to experience God for who he is, we have to surrender completely and entirely to him. We have to give ourselves to him. That includes the truth of God, the truth of his word. You know, we serve a God of truth who protects and defends people who are committed to truth. We serve a God of truth who will not allow people of truth to be put to shame. We serve a God of truth who will fight for people who defend truth. 
We serve a God of truth who will favor people who speak truth. Maybe you're here today and you say, I believe it. It's just hard for me to speak it. Don't raise your hand. Because I'm hoping that impression that you have of yourself will change by the end of today's meeting. I'd like for you to join me in the book of Ezekiel. And I want you to see how God expands Ezekiel's call. How many of you here are active in, in, in the work of the Lord, in the ministry, in, in the ways of God? Raise your hand if you're active in those things. If you feel that you are a part of the work of God, show of hands. I'm going to show you something today. What you're going to read today in Ezekiel is God expanding his call on Ezekiel. Sometimes we get comfortable and we say, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to be. And I'm not saying you're not. But I'm saying that God reserves the right to say, I've got something else I want you to do. God reserves that right. Are you aware of that? Are you aware that God reserves the right to say, I've got something else for you? Have you ever gone somewhere to eat? And they just, either they pile your pl the, the plate on for you or you do it yourself. I'm un comelon, so I, I do that all the time. And when I go places, people serve me like they're serving too. But have you ever had your fill and they come over and the, and, and the, the host of the house just looks at you and says, let me give you a little more. Let me. And they put, has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me so many times. They give you a little more. God reserves the right to say to you, I know you're faithful to me. I know you serve me. I know you give me of your best, but I've got a little something more for you. I've got something extra for you. I've got something in addition to the things that you're already doing for me that I want you to do. God reserves that right. He holds that right over each and every one of our lives. And this is what he's doing to Ezekiel right here. Ezekiel is already a prophet. Ezekiel is already his mouthpiece. And God says to him, I've got something else for you. So I'm here to tell you today. Whatever it is you're doing for the Lord, there is something he wants to add to you, and it's the same thing he added to Ezekiel. Are you ready to hear it? All right, here we go. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear, my, the, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. Did you catch that in verse 17? I have made you a watchman. Did Ezekiel ask to be a watchman? Did he? No. Did he pray for it? No. The Lord says, I have done it. Nowadays, if Ezekiel was in today's society, he says, let me pray about it, Lord. I want to take some time. I want to seek you to be sure that I'm not taking too much on my plate because I want to be faithful. I don't want to be negligent with the things of God. I just want to be sure that I can handle this. I want to be sure that I'm going to be able to do what you want me to do. That's what Ezekiel would say today in today's society or in today's church. Maybe not this church, just the way Miami. I'm sure here that when God speaks to you, you do it immediately, instantly. And you don't begin to negotiate with God. Did you catch that? I have made you. I've done it. 
When God says, I have this for you, there is no, I need to pray about it. Pastor, how could you say that? Because when God speaks, there's nothing to pray about. When God says, this is what you are, this is what I want you to do, there's nothing to pray about it. Only if you're praying, Lord, equip me to do what you want me to do. There is no prayer. Let me see if I could do this. Let me see if I'm willing. Let me see if I'm able. Let me see if I can get around to it. Those are empty, vain repetitions. When God says, I did it, I did it. And he looked at Ezekiel and said, I know everything you're doing for me up until this moment. I know that you're a faithful man. I know that you speak when I tell you to speak. But I want to let you know something. I've got a position for you. And that position is that you speak for me. I've made you a watchman. I've done it. It's been done. Moving forward, you are also to be a watchman for my people. I'm here to tell you today, the same word that God spoke to Ezekiel is the same word the Holy Spirit is speaking to his people today. You are called to be a watchman. You are called to be the mouthpiece for God. But pastor, I don't know. That. That's, that's just not me. I'm not, I, I, I don't like to speak to people. I'm a a shy, timid person. We're the shy, timid people in the house of God. Raise your hand. No, for real. I want you to raise your hand. This is for you too. It's for you too. Because this is not about you and me. And believe it or not, you may not believe me, but in, in high school, in college, I never spoke publicly. I chose to take the F or do more work and have somebody else speak. To this day, this is something that God has done in me. I know that when I get up to speak to God's people for him, it's a work of God. It's not me. So to my shy and timid brothers and sisters, these scriptures are also for you. It's not for the bold. It's not for those who don't care. It's for all of us. This is God's word for his people in these days. You want to know that the word watchman is an interesting word because it entails more than just watching. A watchman was was supposed to watch with a purpose. More often than not, that purpose will require action on the part of the watchman. God has placed you wherever it is you're placed, in your family, in your workplace, amongst your friends. God has placed you there with a purpose. And that purpose is that you would watch with a purpose, not just to watch, not just to see what's happening. A watchman is there to watch with a purpose. In essence, the watchman is a spokesperson for the one who enlisted him. Beloved, there are many people who claim to be children of God and all they do is watch. All they do is watch what's happening around them and they do not speak out because of fear. They fear the consequences, they feel the rejection, and they feel the ridicule. May it not be so among us when we see the things we see. When we hear the things we hear, it's because there's a divine purpose behind it. If you ask yourself, why am I seeing these things? Why am I hearing these things? It's because God has placed you there with a purpose. 
Not just so that you would be defiled by what you hear and by what you see. That's not God's purpose behind it. And the, 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 the simplest way I can explain this is when you speak what God has put in, uh, on your heart, when you speak what you hear from the, vo- from the mouth of God, you do not become defiled by the things you hear and see. Do you remember that woman that was caught in the act of adultery? And they brought her to Jesus? There's a lot in that story. There's a lot to, to unravel in that story. But the Bible says that Jesus was on, on, looking at the ground, not looking at her, and he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth to them and to her. He never justified the sin. He simply said to the crowd, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. But what did he say to the woman? Go and sin no more. I want to let you know that God has placed you wherever, he, wherever it is you're at to intervene on his behalf. And I know that's a lot. But God has placed you where you are at to intervene for him. He says, therefore, a word, hear the word that comes from my mouth and give them warning for me. Church, we have a responsibility to hear what God is saying and speak it. God has made you a watchman. Now, here's a side note. I think there's a lot of people who speak and God never spoke. And they're out there speaking their agenda, whether it's religious mumbo-jumbo or not. They're just out there regurgitating things they hear. That's not what it is to speak for God. To speak for God is to hear God, to hear what the Lord is saying, to see what is going to happen, and to speak it. I told my church this. I said, if God hasn't spoken to you, just be quiet. This is not about about being the loudest voice in the room. It's about hearing from the Lord and speaking truth. Somebody told me one time, they said, Pastor, sometimes I get the feeling that you don't believe God speaks to people. I said, no, I fully believe that God speaks to people. There's just a lot of people that I know God hasn't spoken to. How could you say that? Because it's not in the word of God. We live in a a time where people can say, I felt the Lord speak to me, and that's just here. You you have to receive what I'm saying to you. Because I felt God speak to me. Says who? I like the translator. She's using her hands like I am. Says who? Who told you that? Oh, because you say that God spoke to you? I just have to believe that? No, if it doesn't, the the first filter... And the best filter, the sifter. You know what a sifter is? El colador. The first filter, the first sifter is the word of God. If the word of God stops it and blocks it, then I don't have to accept what it is you're saying, even if it sounds beautiful. Because, man, we live in day and age where people are so eloquent with the religious garbage that comes out of their mouth. I hear people talk sometimes like, they didn't say anything. It's like they covered all the, all the, the popular phrases. They didn't say anything. And I have to accept that God spoke to you. No. 
If it's aligned with the word of God, then you've got my ear. If it's not, keep moving. I don't want to hear it. My Spanish service made a, sh uh, a shirt with it. About this. And in, in the back it says, Si Dios no te ha hablado, cállate la boca. I thought that was fantastic. So God has made you a watchman. People need to hear the truth. I, I, I want to let you know that people in today's society, as damaged as it is, they are hungry for the truth. Because it's only the truth that's going to set them free. Even people who are bound, people who are addicted, people who are confused, only God's truth will set them free. And, and the thing about God's truth is when you speak God's truth, it, it, it's, it's joined together with mercy. Truth and mercy. Those two things come together when you're sharing the heart of God. Truth and mercy. Listen, I believe in right and wrong wholeheartedly. Whole, if you know anything about me, you know that I'm black and white. But some, remember that first time you met me? Boy, that, that was some friction there. I know I'm, a, I know I'm, an, I'm like sushi. I'm an acquired taste. I know it. But in me, in my nature, I have had to lean, to learn to lean on the truth and the mercy of God. Because there's tons of people who know what they're doing, know their choices in life are wrong. They know they're wrong. And I'm not telling you don't say it's wrong. I'm saying if you're going to say it's wrong and you've heard from God that it's wrong, if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's wrong, then it's your job to speak truth but also to extend mercy. Truth makes no apologies for sin and neither does mercy. Makes no apologies for sin but it extends help for the miserable. That's what that means, mercy is. Help for the miserable. And I don't know about you, but all these years in, I am still desperate for the mercy of God. Verse 18. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require what? We. The things got a little personal, didn't they? Yet, if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity. But you have what? Delivered your soul. Man, that's heavy responsibility. Verse 20. And when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, this is another message for another day. And I lay a stumbling block before him. Talk about the sovereignty of God. God can do that. He can do whatever he wants. Why would God do that? I don't know. I'm not God. And I lay a stumbling block before him. He shall die. Because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. But his blood, I will require what? At your hands. Nevertheless... If you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. And you, here he says it again, you're going to do what? Deliver your soul. How many of you have caught the responsibility in those scriptures? 
how you have a responsibility on how other people are conducting their life. Listen, the church cannot be the church if our mentality is that's none of my business. I read this and I, I see no room for that. I mean, am I crazy or what? I don't see any room in those scriptures for that's none of my business. The church cannot have the impact that God wants her to have if her mentality is, I'm just going to stay in my lane. I mean, we're from Miami. Nobody stays in their lane anyways. People are going to do what they want to do. Yes or no? People are going to do what they want to do. But if you and I do not speak truth, then we bear culpability. If they sin and we know it to be wrong and we remain silent, we will be held accountable. Their blood on your hands. Somebody else's decisions, if I know that it goes contrary to what God wants, if I see it, I'm seeing it with a purpose. If I say nothing, I share culpability for their actions. Actually, their blood is going to be on whose hands? My hands. I'll be the example today. I'll be the example because I don't want you to feel bad. I'll be the example. I want to know that we, we see what the Word of God is saying here. That if I see something happening, if I see someone deviating from the truth of God, and I say nothing, their blood will be required by, on whose hands? You can point your finger at me. Point your finger. I want you to point at me. I mean, no, it's good. later on, it's all of us, Betsy. But right now, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm, I'm, ta I'm going to be the example here. If I see something and say nothing, I'm going to be guilty. Do you agree with that? That's what the Word of God says. If we speak and they refuse to accept it, they've rejected the truth, the truth that we speak, and they will face the consequences for their actions. But we would have rescued our souls. Part of my salvation, part of your salvation, part of our salvation is to speak the truth that God puts on our heart. I'm finishing up. Do I continue or no? Yeah, let's go, right? Chapter 33, verse 11, say to them, say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Say to them, those three words, say to them, when it comes to the truth, it is not enough. It is not enough to be silent. It is not enough. Listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not even going to go into an explanation here. Pray for people. Please continue to pray for people. But I'm telling you right now, as a watchman, it's not enough that you pray. I think it's a cop-out when the church today says, all I can do is pray. Like if, that is, like if that leaves you without weapons. That is your greatest weapon. To bow before God, to intercede for somebody. But it doesn't stop there. You and I are called to speak the very truth that has saved us. 
the truth that we are striving to live in, the truth that keeps us in his ways, the truth that has set us free. If you are here and you are free, it is because the truth of God that you are free. Not because you desire to be a good person. Not because all these things, that these accolades that you think you have. No, if you're here today and you're free, it's because the truth of God has set you free. And outside of God's truth, men could never be free. You with me so far? All right, here we go. Revelation chapter 7, and I'm closing with this one. Let me get a drink of water as you marinate on the things I've said to this point. Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. How many of you want to be part of that group? Man, that is the group that I want to be part of. The group of the overcomers. The bride of Christ, the overcoming church. I want to be there. I, I desire to be there. I need to be there. My hope, my prayer, my faith, my confidence is that I am an overcomer. Do I have any friends? And that I will inherit all things, all things that God has for me. The word of God says, I will be his God and he shall be my son. Verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually moral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I don't want to be part of that group. Did you notice that group? Within that group, there is a group of people that are mentioned first. That you look at, you say, like, what, what are they doing here? Like, I, I can see all these other sins. I can see all these, these other paths that will lead to hell. But that, the, the cowardly? What are they doing there? You know who the cowardly are? You know who they are? The failed watchmen. The failed watchmen who are grouped with these people because their blood is on whose hands? On their hands. That's a terrible thing. There's going to be people who have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone because they were too fearful, they were too scared, they were cowardly when it came to speaking what God wanted them to speak. The cowardly are those people who lean so much on the excuse of, it just doesn't come naturally for me, I can't do this. Whose blood is now on their hands, the, the blood of these people's lives is now on their hands, the consequence of their sin is now in their hands. Because they stayed silent and they feared man more than God. The cowardly who feared being criticized, feared what others would say of them. And God ultimately held them responsible. And now they're numbered with that crowd. I don't know about you, but I refuse. I refuse. I refuse to be part of that group simply because I didn't speak what I knew to be true. God is adding something else to your life. 
God is adding another responsibility to your life. And it's serious. It's serious. Because the days we're living in are serious as well. And if we, if we really believe that our salvation is closer today than it was yesterday, if we really believe that, then we're going to have an agenda as well. And that agenda is going to be to speak the truth of God in love and in mercy. Amen?